Welcome to The Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impact's content strategist. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of The Content Lab. I don't know what it is, but there is something about cold, gloomy, gray weather that completely soothes my soul. And it's been that way, I would say, now for close to a week here in Annapolis, Maryland. I often joke that I actually have reverse seasonal depression because if it gets too sunny for too long, I start getting really grouchy. I know this is because I'm a broken human who hates sunshine and freedom and all of the other good things that are supposed to make me happy. But with that said... I don't want to make too much light today of the current weather forecast, and here's why. This morning, I am breathing a sigh of relief here in Maryland because Hurricane Florence seems to be turning south. On the other hand, it doesn't look that great for a lot of our neighbors to the south in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and other areas that are potentially going to be affected by this massive storm that is about to slam into the East Coast later this week. So if you are in the direct path and you are listening to this, I I implore you to take care of yourselves. If you have been ordered to evacuate or know you should deep down, please do so. Your life is more important than things. So know that I'm thinking about you this week. Please be safe. And if there's anything I can do in my very limited capacity All you have to do is reach out and say so. With that bit of housekeeping out of the way, let's dive into this week's episode. Today's conversation is a bit different from what you listeners are used to. Instead of talking about the usual storytelling tactics and how to become a better writer, we're getting technical. More specifically, I have invited my friend Franco Valentino from Narrative SEO to join me to talk about how content creators like me and like you should be blending the art of creating content with the science of SEO. To be honest, this is a discussion I would have absolutely dreaded a year or two ago, the way a child might dread going to the dentist or the way I used to just fall on the floor dead weight like a toddler whenever my mother would suggest that we go look at stuff at Crate and Barrel. I was a prima donna content nerd back then who looked up down upon SEO as this lesser discipline that didn't help me. Instead, I always treated it like it was this thing that stood in the way of me creating compelling stories and narratives. It wasn't a way to make it better or enhance it. It would dull the impact of my glorious, beautiful words. Now, without spoiling too much of my chat with Franco, let's just say my tune has changed. And if you're like me or me two years ago, and you're groaning right now, thinking about the idea that we're going to spend a week talking about SEO instead of content, I hope you're going to change your tune too after this conversation. As always, don't forget to stick around after the interview for this week's One Thing in the Weekly Awesome. But without further ado, let's dive right in. Today is going to be a good day, ladies and gentlemen, because I am welcoming the one, the only. Franco Valentino of Narrative SEO to our podcast. Yay. Oh Round my, what an five. intro. <laughs> I know. Thank you. Now, don't screw up. Don't let everybody down. I'm, I'm, I'm on my best behavior. No, now I'm disappointed. I don't want that either. But anyway, okay. Franco, for those at home who live in a dark, desolate, Franco-less world of sadness, <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do, all of that good fun stuff? 
Sure, sure. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be on this podcast with you, Liz, as you know. Um, so I am a technical SEO, which is a little bit different than a standard SEO to answer your question. Um, standard SEO, you talk about page titles and all those things that we normally hear, you know, uh, ad nauseum every day on the internet. Technical SEO actually looks at the um, under, under the cover portion of your server and your website, meaning all the digital teeming interconnections between the internet and the things that you don't, don't normally see during the day. So that, in essence, is it without getting too technical, that's kind of what we do. You know, it, it's funny too. I remember the first time you and I met virtually, it was, you were helping impact with a lot of different SEO trainings. I remember thinking, he's affable, he's fun. And then you described what you were doing. I'm like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> good. I just like my car to run. I have zero desire to know what's under the hood. You know, right, right. I am that person. But What's really interesting about what you do and is also the reason I invited you today is it was inspired by the fact that you and I have actually finally had a chance to collaborate recently. Yes. So as a little bit of a sneak peek, you and I are working on some super fun pillar content stuff having to do with technical SEO, but without getting too far into the weeds on our mm -hmm. professional love story. Right. And also without letting the cat out of the bag about our masterpiece. Yes, yes. <laughs> I want to share something that happened after our little brainstorm session that happened two weeks ago. So you and I talked, we were figuring out the content strategy for your particular piece of pillar content. Right. We had a lot of fun kind of going back and forth and ping ponging ideas, but you showed me some of these really cool tools and, and different ways of me looking different things that I could look at while we're shaping the strategy for this piece. And it made me realize two things. One, more immediately, obviously, not just how I can improve what we're working on, but also how I could be rethinking a little bit differently, how I approach some of the content strategies I create, whether that's topic cluster, pillar, or otherwise. Right. But most of all, it made me realize that it wasn't that long ago that I was a content creator who not only didn't really get SEO, technical or otherwise, didn't matter. I looked upon it as kind of this data-driven monster that was going to undermine my ability to do my job. Like it's the teacher that comes in and reminds you, you know, hey, you have a pop quiz today. Right. You know, right. when you were busy having fun and doing all this stuff and doing all the things that you enjoyed. It was the thing that inhibited my ability to be the creative storyteller. It was the strategy that everybody, every marketer was beating me over the head with in terms of, you know, do this thing. Well, I don't want to. It's going to suck the life out of all of my work. Right. Obviously, that's changed. You know, we're collaborating together. I have learned that data is not the devil. <laughs> but my hope is that our discussion today will help fellow content creators like myself and marketers understand that the science of SEO and the art of creating really absurdly helpful, beautifully written content are not mutually exclusive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I, love, I love the analogy of, you know, the fact that content creators just don't pay attention to technical, part because, the technical parts because it's kind of scary and it's sort of a, a closet you don't want to open. So hopefully... If we bring this up to a twenty or thirty thousand foot level, we'll we'll try to match the two and say, hey, these really are beautifully paired and actually simple to do when we set some frameworks up correctly, because content is an artistic is an artistic um, how would I put this or how should I say this it's a, it's an artistic pursuit right because we are creating something right we're trying to convey a mental movie to the reader. The technical SEO layer is is think of it like you said uh, uh, a mechanic 
um, it really is the engine that drives the car. You don't have to build an engine every single time that you're going to build a car. So the content, let's say, is the body. You can actually reuse a, an engine that is proven before to actually get the car to go as fast as you want it to go. So if we think about SEO or technical SEO in that framework, if you, if you just say, okay, I have 10 or 15 steps that once I'm done and I'm happy with my content, then I'm gonna go through just to make sure that I'm speaking in a search engine's language so it can better absorb what we're talking about because the search engines, as much as they try to be, are not human beings, right? So you are optimizing for the, human, the emotional side, whereas the technical SEO is optimizing for the mechanical side. So I, I hope that at the simplest level makes sense because the two are really, really well intertwined. I think the other thing too, it's, and, and this is where I, I have to be brutally honest, I don't think a content creator ever wants to admit that their sheer talent alone is gonna be able to get their content in front of the most people possible, or most of the right people possible. Right. There has to be this technical, whether it's, whether you're just embracing it and doing your hardest or actual getting, actually getting to the point of mastery, mm -hmm. you can't do one without the other really anymore. Right. It, it's almost like uh, when, when you consider headline formulas, right? There are proven models that our brains go through that we respond to better. It's almost the same thing with Google or with any search engine. There are proven models that say, hey, if you at least consider doing this format of something, the search engine will be able to absorb your, your information better or, you know, in, in, the, in the human sense, they'll click on it, right? Um, so, so, yes, those, you know, again, when we look at it in that, you know, from that viewpoint, um, it, these things work exceptionally well together and they should be done together. We know that you know, it's been proven that, um, that this is the right way to apply um, your content towards, uh, towards the, the SEO or the, the growth side. The weird thing is though, is that there was something that you said a little bit earlier that almost it, it instinctively brought out that reflex in me, that reflex of Liz from yesteryear. Right. Where you said, you know, ultimately robots aren't human. They're trying to be a facsimile of humans or a facsimile of what they think humans are looking for, but ultimately they are not. And it reminds me of that saying, saying you know, write for robots first, or not write for robots first. Oh my God, that's the opposite. <laughs> write for humans first, right. then optimize for the robots, exactly. right? Exactly. That's exactly right. That's, I think, where I used to get very hung up. But I'd love to hear either your argument against it or just your thoughts of, how is that not doing exactly what I'm afraid of, which is taking content that I think is absolutely freaking fantastic right. and putting it through that quote optimization process for robots. How does that not take some of that shine off some of that humanity? Well, so, so let's look at it a different way to try to understand this too, because as, as an SEO, when, when we have a customer come to us and say, I need to rank for this keyword, um, whatever it could be, uh, blue dog collars. Okay. We can, with the tools that we use, we can instantly see the pages that are ranking, right? The top 10 pages for blue dog collars. And, and you know, in that space, there's a lot of relevancy. You know, it's going to be some type of e-commerce, right? Uh, website, but it may be an article about, you know, the top 10 most expensive blue dog collars, right? So you really have to set out with the goal for the piece of content, which you do anyway as a content creator, okay? When you look at that and say, okay, I'm going to write the best article that I can so people will enjoy it and they'll absorb it and they'll get emotional about it and, oh my God, you've never seen a more beautiful blue dog collar than this one that I'm about to show you. Um, when, if that is compelling enough to a human being, right, and you've, and you've looked at the competitive content and said, okay, these 10 articles are similar to what I'm going to write, but I'm going to go much, much deeper. I'm going to answer more questions that I know I hear asked at the pet store about blue dog collars. And 
Uh, so I'm going to write my article based on that. I have a certain type of content. It could be a best type of post, you know, the whole market shared and, you know, big five content types, et cetera, which we know work from a human standpoint. Okay. When we look at that and say, okay, what are the commonalities that these top 10 blog posts have? We can start getting ideas as a content creator of what I should be writing about because it makes absolute sense. That really is a piece of technical SEO. We're optimizing for the human side still, but we're letting the data, right, tell us what is working and what's compelling people to click on that piece of content. So at the end of the day, your content, because of your voice and your tone and, you know, your, your, your creative side, your artistic side is going to rank well it's going to rank exponentially better because you've included these factors that other, that we may not have known about. And that, that's actually, a, that's actually something we call the content gap analysis because sometimes somebody ranks for something that you didn't even know they ranked for, but you're in the same space, for example. So I hope that's a long way to get back to an answer for you, but I hope that makes sense. No, it, it absolutely does. I think it, the hardest thing for me in terms of wrapping my brain around it is that not looking at, not looking at data, especially from the technical or the, the standard SEO type, mm -hmm. uh, something that was really going to rob me of my creativity. Because going, going back to the example I mentioned earlier of us collaborating together on your piece, we started thinking about, okay, what are the things that we want to make sure are included in here? Right. And what are the other things that we should be writing about? And the fascinating part is that it, made, it was so much easier than me locking myself in a room and deciding start to finish what should this whole thing look like that was based on a lot of assumptions. Exactly. And I think that's the thing that's frustrating. You know, it's always really exciting from a subjective perspective to say, I made these assumptions, I took a gamble and I was right. And not only I was right, I was really successful and this content is amazing and yada, yada. But when I look at my most successful piece of content from the perspective of impact, my most su successful article was because I was told this is a keyword we really want to go after, we right. optimized for it. I wrote the best possible article for it. And I think it's up to something obscene, like 66,000 views. Right, right. You know, and it was a very particular piece of content where data informs the human decisions you're making. Data doesn't tell you what to do. Exactly, exactly. It, it, it's, it's almost like a tool set right? You, you open the box and you say, okay, I, I've got, I, I have an application that I need to do. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Let, let's pretend that we have a tool set or a toolbox for content, right? And I want to write about, and I'll give you a great example because this is a live example from a customer. Um, let's say that you're in the lifestyle space or, you know, something similar to real estate, like lifestyle about living in a certain area, homes, that kind of thing. Okay? And you're, you know, typically your typical real estate agency will say, okay, your home's for sale. Here are the restaurants near this neighborhood, zip codes, et cetera. Okay. We know that that works. However, let's say that you all of a sudden know that oh, I'm in Nashville, right? Let's say that all of a sudden uh, you look at the keyword, uh, you look at keyword metrics and you say, oh my gosh, every July, June, July, I see that CMA Fest trends really, really well. I mean, we're talking, you know, monthly volumes of anywhere, you know, above the 10 to 50,000 mark, depending on the week that you're in. Okay. And you're a more or less well-trafficked website. All right. So you decide you're going to do something about a CMA fest. Okay. I'm going to write a piece of content. You still write the best piece of content you can about it. Knowing now you open your tool set and say, okay, well, the, CM the CMA fest website has ticket prices. Well, let me throw in the average ticket prices in here. CMA, so a lot of people are searching for parking. How, where do I park when I'm at the week long festival? So you add that as well. Okay, so long story short, you looked at the keywords, you saw that there was a lot of traffic and it's even though, even if it's seasonal, right, you know, you're going to get a spike and then a decline, but you're going to get a lot more traffic. 
So you do a, you do a massive piece of content, a, a giant pillar against it, and you give everything that you can. Now, you are not the CMA Fest, right? They're a large authority, we're a smaller site, et cetera. All of a sudden, your leads go from two to three a day to 15 to 20 a day for at least a month and a half. Right now, you've done the job. You've provided an amazing amount of value. People that are going to the festival, they're going, all right, where do I park, right? How much are the tickets? Where can I click to get this? What's the schedule? Who's playing, right? All of that you include in your content. All of a sudden, the benefits to you as a website owner are drastically improved because you made the best piece of content that you could, but you did it through looking at the tool set and saying, oh, this wrench is going to fit this nut perfectly, right? And, and effectively so. That's exactly what happens. So that's why I think it's a really, really good marriage between the artistic side and the technical side. And it's not difficult. It really isn't. You just have to change your mindset a little bit. Well, then not to be completely rude, but why does it feel so hard? <laughs> I know, exactly. Because it's time consuming, right? <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I get it. And again, you know, I love you, Franco. I love you so much. But sometimes when you're describing things, I am A, in awe, and B, completely traumatized because <laughs> I think about it from the perspective of what I do and what my job is and, and trying to get over that mental hurdle of how do I integrate any of these types of best practices without suddenly taking on a whole new level of expertise that, it, it, that seems insurmountable. Right. Because, you know, these rules are constantly changing. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on you. First of all, I love you too. And you know, this is fantastic. And I love talking about this stuff. Second of all, slap me if I get too technical because I have a tendency to go way out, out of line. That's okay. We're equally nerds. <laughs> there you go. So, so I'm going to push back a little bit on, on saying this is very, very difficult and that it changes all the time because the root of search engines is still exactly the same as it was what are they now, 10, 15 years old, which is, you know, they're still very young, but, but the rules, the, the, the baseline still hasn't changed. And uh, if you recall during uh, I Am Live, we, we discuss some very simple steps that are, they're fairly technical, but they really don't change. And these are things that can, they're the Pareto things. They're the 20% of things that you can do to make your content or your traffic 80% better, right? So if you look at your content in that framework saying, I know that I have to put a keyword optimized title in there, right? I mean, that's a standard thing with content. You know you have to have a meta description that people are going to click on. It's a teaser, right? Those are basic rules that will make you, even if you just say, okay, I know that I need to make a meta description that people are going to want to, you know, clickbaity without being clickbaity, if that makes sense. Um, you're going to be better just because you thought of that, right? So it, there are 10 to 15 steps that are super, super simple as a content creator. You say, I'm going to write the best dang article that I can. And then I'm going to go to my checklist and I'm going to go, all right, did I put the keyword in the title? Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, that's awesome. Is the meta description telling it all or is there a little bit of mystery there where the user is going to want to click on that, right? And okay, you've done that part of the job. Is, is it, you know, are the images optimized correctly, right? Because you don't want a, a, an, images to, an image to load slowly, right? Th so those are very, very basic things, but they make, they make an incredible difference in the way people absorb that information, if that makes sense. So. It does. And I'm actually glad you pushed back on me because it leads nicely into my next question, which is, what is it that you think that people like me get wrong about what it is that you're so passionate about and all of this beautiful stuff that leads to these instinctual aversions? Like if you could correct any of the top myths, what would they be? Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say this delicately, right? Because I know the majority of good or great content creators they don't do this. I see this mistake all the time. 
Number one, the page is slow, right? Okay, so we got to get over that. You cannot have a slow page on the internet. You, you're losing 20% of your conversions for every second of load time, okay? And that's, that's a little bit, but from a content standpoint, do not speak in metaphors. Google does not understand metaphors. When you're on a page, it's okay to tell a story because as a human being, we're going to absorb it and that's dwell time. But if you speak in a metaphor, you're not putting the right keywords on that page. And to this day, that matters a lot. So if you're used to speaking in slang, if you're used to speaking in metaphors, you need to stop that immediately in your content. It's okay to throw one or two in there, but for the most part, you never want to put something that is not the right keyword inside of your content. Interesting. So you can still use those artistic liberties, but if you're not also balancing it with the keywords that need to be there, because we have a bunch of literal, adorable, tiny robots in space right. crawling your content, if they can't understand what you're talking about. That it will, it's a machine. If it does not see that related term to your, towards your main content, um, it will not rank you for it. And that's, that's the number one thing that I see. The number two thing is when you do your, your, um, your subheadings, your keywords should be in your subheadings as well. as well. I don't care what the talking heads on the internet say, all of the bright minds and technical SEO and all that. Google, in many instances, and, and, and Bing and Yahoo to a lesser degree, they are a do as I say, don't do as I do type of discussion because they have to hide some secrets of how they actually work or else everybody takes advantage of them because it's been happening historically, right? And they'll say, oh, H tags don't matter anymore. Your heading paragraphs don't, you don't have to put keywords in there. It doesn't matter. I'm calling BS on it right now, <laughs> okay? Because I see it work time and again. So no metaphors or very, very light on the metaphors and keyword optimized heading tags as well. My God. Mm -hmm. Why are you breaking my heart, man? I'm not trying to back after I'm this. You're just not, kidding. I'm not. I'm telling. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I promise. I'm just want it, want it to work. <laughs> so what do you? So I know you and I had a good little laugh this morning when I told you what I wanted to talk about and how so many people can think that the art of content creation and the science of SEO are mutually exclusive. Yes. But I would love to hear from you why this is something that. I've heard you say before on more than one occasion that it is just as much of an art. It's not just a static science. It, it, and that's correct because there are so, so Google by itself, we know has somewhere, we know there's at least 200 rank factors, if not up to 500. And the way they, they because Google never talks about them, they're publicly stated they have three, basically, you know, speed, SSL, you know, and I forget what the other one, the latent semantic word, uh, related keywords. When you're facing 200 rank factors from one search engine, and then you're facing thousands of factors between your hosting space, your CMS, you know, HubSpot, WordPress, Drupal, Magento, whatever, and the rest of what has to happen on the internet for a website to rank, it is overwhelming. So over time, as you learn to see a website through a different lens, not just a content lens, you immediately start to see, you start seeing patterns. And these patterns of websites that rank really, really, I'll give you an example. Out of their, um, uh, clickstream.cc did a uh, data research project of 9 million number one Google rankings, like literally slot one, okay? They found that there was a 70% correlation to a time to first byte being fi under 500 milliseconds. Google has never said, a time to first byte means how fast does a server respond when a user asks for that, clicks on that entry, okay? So like the like byte, so when we're talking about byte, we're talking about the unit measurement and it's literally how quickly that first byte is returned. The very first, when you click on a page in, in Google, right? When you click to, to request a web page after searching something, Google is watching that response time to say, okay, how long did it take for that server to answer that user? 
if it's 500 milliseconds or less, then you have a shot of, of ranking it. Now, that's, they pub publicly stated that is not a rank factor. However, if you look at the data, right, um, it, it, it absolutely is, and it's a correlated factor. So, so just from that, if I'm looking at an awesome piece of content, and it's something that's better than a competitor, but your speed is much slower, the other guy is going to push you out of the SERP a little bit, or you're going to float a few spots down. And, and remember, I played a game of millimeters here, right? So right. this is we're, we're, we're dealing with, it's not just stutter nested, because if you, you have a smaller website, there's 15 things that are going to literally turn on in about half an hour and fix it. We're talking about massive websites, right, at the enterprise level. When the new metric for mobile page speed, since that's a, is 200 milliseconds. So these things change over time, but the fact is that if your server is slow, you will never outrank anybody. So, so the, 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 the art part of this is looking at it holistically and saying, okay, I see what's wrong. I know that speed is fine, but now what do the meta descriptions look like, right? Or, or is, this something, is there something that just doesn't make sense with the content? Right. Is there something, is there, you know, is it linking out to bad websites, for example? So that's sort of the art side of it, but you have to go through the data part, data dump first. Yeah. And I think that's the thing where I, I go back to that mindset I was in before and why I say things like it feels overwhelming. It feels like there's so much because it feels as if the, the deck is in many ways, not necessarily stacked against you unless you want to be the big old pessimist. Right. But when I started unpacking this, this, you know, can of worms, mm -hmm. It started with an article I, I mentioned to you earlier, which was before we started recording today, which was an article written by somebody who I have tremendous amount of respect for, but they said that as a, as a creative, they didn't care about data. Right. And I remember that was the first time I, I really felt this pull to defend data. Right. You no, know, because d data is what validates. Data is what informs what I do. Even the soft, fluffy stuff that people don't think is data-driven, for example, just your buyer personas, that's typically validated in some way by surveying an X number of ideal customers who are already your clients. Like in some way, data comes back and tells you these are the things that you need to be doing so you know you're not just telling a story for yourself. Right. But what freaks me out and simultaneously inspires me when I talk to you and, and I and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way hearing you is that that does still feel overwhelming. You know, what, what do I need to focus on as a content creator in order to do my part? Because I can't own the entire SEO strategy for my business, right. but I can only control the things that I can control. And sometimes I don't know what that is. Right. And that's a great point because, all right, so at technical SEOs, we literally live in a state of overwhelm because there is so much data like every day is an overwhelming day in our field and, and it won't be any different and it'll never change because there's just you know for a human being you can juggle maybe four five things in your head at one time right and then the rest of the day is like all right where do i even start so so to level set and i think as and this is a lesson to you content producers that actually make the internet work is there are basic sets of rules that you can learn very quickly, right? I mean, it's not, not a day, but give yourself a week, right? To say, okay, I know that if I'm doing these 10 basic things that I can, I can write, I'm going to give you a metaphor. <laughs> Here's a metaphor for you. If you're Picasso. You're breaking your own rule. Yeah, I, I, know, I know you're but, laughing, but I need to point it out. Yeah, I, I know, but I, I'm breaking it on purpose because this isn't a written word. This is a podcast. <laughs> so here's it. I, if you're Picasso, right, and you're trying to find the perfect color blue, you're going to know exactly what to mix in that jar to make sure that you get the right color, right? 
that is your technical SEO, meaning I know exactly what I have to do to make sure that X factor is perfect because I know that this content has to match this particular search term. Okay? And it's actually fairly simple. Like even if you do an SEO basics, like just Google SEO 101 or you know, SEO beginning SEO. And that's different than technical SEO. There's a, there's a very, very big divide between the two because one has 100% to do with the content side, which is you know, the content creation production side. The other side is much more server dependent. So I would say just learn the basics of SEO, like the title tags, your on-page speed, all of the important basics. And then after you do your content, don't even worry about that stuff. Go write the best piece of content that you can. And then just do in one of your edits, you know how you go back and you proof 16 times? Well, let the 17th time be just a run through a very basic checklist of, okay, did I do my title tag right? Is my meta description as good as I can make it within a few minutes? And did I remember to sprinkle in the, you know, the, the, um, the keywords within my subparagraphs? And is the page fast? If you do nothing else but that, you're going to do better than 90% of the other pieces of content on the web. You know, I, I love how you mentioned that because it's one of the things that I've trained a lot of younger copywriters and, and people who may, you know, contributors who work with us who may not be used to the fact that, hey, you're not supposed to be Hemingway on your first try. Exactly. Doesn't happen. Not even for me. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. impossible. No, all of my first drafts are complete garbage, like just complete and utter garbage. But one of the things that people don't understand is that beyond drafting in phases, you actually should also edit in phases. So typically I never try to edit for everything all at once. Like I can't focus on looking for all of the grammatical errors, all of the spelling errors, all of the flow issues, mm -hmm. and then just general, is this garbage or not, <laughs> you know, right. kind of stuff. So it should just be that one last little polish. You've done all the writing for humans, now go back and make sure all of the polish for robots is there. Exactly. So yeah. you mentioned a few things that I think a lot of us, I hope at least are trained to do, you know, the title tags, the meta descriptions, the, the H ones. And I, the new one you mentioned in there for me is page speed, but what are some other things that people might not think about to put on that list of 10 to 15 that they can check for? So I, mobile response. So Google went to a mobile first index back in August. They, they actually changed. It was a, it was, August was a banner month for Google. They actually made some giant updates. Um, and what they did was they changed the way that they gather keywords from a piece of content from the desktop view, you know, the view that you, if you're mm -hmm. sitting at your laptop or whatever, to the mobile first index view, meaning they're using the mobile version of your website primarily to gather your keywords. And Why that is, is that? Because users are primarily mobile today. There's every, think about what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Definitely not look at my phone. Exactly. Absolutely not. Yes, you are the <laughs> exception to the global rule, right? So, so, so imagine you have this fantastic device, you know, which is, you know, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of heaven in your pocket kind of thing, where, where you can do pretty much anything you want at 24-7. So people search primarily on mobile. So Google said, in order for us to better capture our primarily mobile users and yours and what they're searching for, we're going to start using the mobile view of your website instead of the desktop one to accrue the keywords that belong to your domain name. So that's how Google does it, right? Just for, for very beginners uh, that are, may be listening to this. Um, if you have a bad mobile web presence, right? If your page is super slow, if it, if it has a different uh, look and feel on mobile, like 
like the links are too small. You know, sometimes you go to a website and it's super small. Okay, Google actually penalizes you for that. Okay, because that's called a tap target. Like I've got big fingers. If my finger can't hit a button on the phone and they, they actually look at the ratios and do some math behind the scenes, they're going to give you a little bit of, they're going to turn the volume down on those keywords. So if your website is not mobile, number one, you're not going to, you're not going to outrank your competition. And that's regardless of the, how much content you have, et cetera. Number two is how fast it responds because mobile devices are much, much smaller and less capable than our desktops are a lot less memory. They may be on a 3g network somewhere while you're floating around. So the faster that your website can, can respond to a user's request, the better it'll rank. And so if you do nothing else, those two things are critically important. I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the most important factor these days is, is page speed, regardless of what you do. So it sounds like if I'm this lowly content creator, I definitely want to climb up my little tree and start asking people, hey, just curious, have we measured our page speed recently? Exactly. You grab your web. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I'll make it super easy for you. You don't even have to worry about that as a content creator. You go to your web designer or your web host and you go, hey, have you tested our site in, in page speed, like Google page speed? And are we as fast as we possibly can be? And leave it at that because you awesome. have to be. Yeah. So and then let them figure that out. And exactly. then go back to your other list of 10 to 15 little things that you should be working on. If you really want to make it fun and make their lives impossible, tell them that, that the page should load in one second or less because that's what it should. <laughs> and it's almost impossible to get there. <laughs> and if they ask why, really, because Franco and Liz told me to, who are they? Exactly. If you have to ask, you can't afford them. As they spit their coffee in your face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so right. What other things from a high level would you say you, you've obviously met content creators like me where we hear SEO and our eyes roll so far back in our head that our head smacks into the floor. Yes, absolutely. And I end up catching everybody. I know. What would you say is if you could take somebody proverbially by the shoulders and shake them a little bit and say, no, 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 this is what you're getting wrong about it. This is why it's great. This is why it helps you do your job better as a content creator. What would it be? <clears throat> do a little bit of keyword research because just like you mentioned earlier, if there are some keywords that have a lot more monthly search volume than others and make sure that you're using those related terms and, and that article is written with those terms that rank your competitor's page because the key, because there are pocket, when you go fishing, there are pockets of areas you should be fishing is because that's where the fish are, right? It's the same thing on the web, a certain keyword, and a variation of it even, can have a lot more searches than another keyword. So if you do nothing else, at least when you set off to create this, this beautiful piece of content, do a little bit of keyword research. And there's a ton of free tools out there that you can do that in. E even, even the pre, you know when you go to Google and you start typing a term and you get a little drop-down box that gives you um, the ter related terms that, that come up for that search? Yeah. Those are actually in volume order last time I checked. So if you pick the top one, even just doing that is good enough to say, okay, I know that other people are searching for this specific term and that will guide you down the path of, of what those related or, or I hate to use the word semantic because it's kind of a technical term, but the, the, the words that are associated with a topic that you are about to write on. Make sure that you're writing to where the pile of people are. Not to be the worst, but it really is a metaphor because the alternative would literally be you have decided you are going to go fishing and you're going to take along the best equipment possible. You are going to go out there with the best fishing rod, the best bait, in the best boat, 
but you do not bother to check any sort of report or map exactly. of where the fish actually are. <laughs> exactly. So you're That's take a great all one. of this beautiful equipment and all of this thought and all of this effort and all of this money that you've spent. Right. Only to fish in a place where nobody's ever going to, you're never going to catch anything. That's exactly right. Yes. So you so, need the fishing report. What are some of your favorite tools that you like to recommend to people? Because I know you've already recommended a few to me personally, but right. let's say I'm somebody who doesn't really want to spend a ton of money because let's be frank, uh, since when do copy editors and writers have budget <laughs> authority? Never. It never Billions happened. of dollars, right. Billions <laughs> of dollars. What are some of the free or low cost tools that you would recommend people experimenting with to get comfortable with this? For sure. So let's start with free because there's two really good ones that we always sort of fall back on. Number one is the Google autofill. Um, you just literally, Google Keyword Planner is fine. Uh, if you have an AdWords account or Google Ads account, you can get a little bit of the search data. Um, it's not it's not as precise as some other tools, but it gives you a really, really good idea of whether there even is traffic or not. So that's a really good one, and that's free. Another one that I love because they're super quirky is answerthepublic.com. Answerthepublic.com has this really cool older gentleman like tapping the screen at you and sitting there going like, hey, come on, give me something. So you type in- I'm looking very judgmental on my dad. Exactly, yes, yes, he's awesome. So what, what that tool actually does is it goes through that Google autofill when you first type in a word and it gives you that suggestions uh, box that drops down. That actually goes out and measures uh, and gathers the pronouns and synonyms to those terms and gives you a list of things that people are actually searching for. And it gives you medium tail and long tail, which is really, really cool. What's the uh, difference for those who may not know? So let's say, so a medium tail keyword is something like uh, blue dog collar. It's about three words, right? Um, a long tail would be um, best blue dog collar for pugs, right? It's much more specific. And there's, you know, there, there tends to be an argument on the web whether you should use a medium tail or a long tail. But the answer is it depends. The answer is it depends on what the purpose of the content is, right? Is, is the relevancy there? The number one rank factor should be relevancy to the user search term. So am I looking, if, if I'm looking for blue dog collars for pugs, that's more of a long tail keyword. If I'm just looking for blue dog collar, then that's going to have several variations because I could be looking to buy one or I could be, I just want to look at images of it. So Google gets a little bit confused. So medium tail is, is those shorter, broader defined, uh, depending, on the, depending on the search term itself. And then long tail is much, much more specific and it could be a literal sentence that someone's searching for. Gotcha. Sorry about the little diversion. So no, it's good. back to answer the public. Right. So answer the public. That's a really another good free tool. That's a, it's a really, really good tool to do some just um, preliminary research. When we get into the paid side, um, my industry and pretty much every technical SEO that I know uses uh, SEMrush or SEMrush.com. Um, it is, it is the um, snap on tools of technical SEO software. Uh, if you're in the PPC space and you're buying ads, you want to research your competitors, you want to do content gap analysis, you want to do keyword research, you want to do speed research, backlink audits, toxic links. It has, it's a one-stop shop for everything. It's a little bit price. It's obviously a paid tool. They do give you some free, you can still do some light keyword research for free. Um, I think they give you 10 searches a month. I don't know what, if they may have changed it, but um, it's a fabulous, fabulous tool. Um, and then if you're getting really, really super technical, Ahrefs, Majestic, and some of the backlink tools are, uh, are really, really strong too. 
One, another one that um, Justin Champion from HubSpot mentioned to me mm -hmm. uh, when we did our episode on pillar content is he mentioned a tool afterward called Keywords Everywhere, which is a plugin. Okay. Right. And it, it's fascinating, but you have to do a little bit of tweaking with settings because otherwise you'll get like global search results and things like that. And that can be a little bit wacky. Um, but it's great because every time I go to a website page or Google something at all, it'll go underneath. This is the monthly search volume. Right. These are some of the other things that people search for. And I, and I find that kind of stuff fascinating. And sometimes you have to find out what the actual search volume is by comparing multiple sources. And it's usually somewhere in the middle, but right. still, again, it's one of those great exercises where it puts a lot of data right in front of you that at least helps me start thinking in a more data focused way. Right. And, and a caveat to all of these tools is none of them, when you look at a number and it says 4,400 monthly searches a month, um, don't take that as, as law either. Um, all of the tools report a little bit differently and they all gather the metrics and do it on different timeframes and they're cyclical traffic. Like in the swimming pool business, you know, you've got a lot of seasonal stuff in the beginning of the year because everybody's looking to buy a pool, for example. So, so the numbers will change. So like you said, get in, if you look at a couple different tools, the average is about right. So just know that if one keyword has 200 monthly searches and the other one has 5,000, that's about the right metric. You want to hunt for the one with 5,000, uh, <laughs> but it's not going to be exactly 5,000 a month. Like don't expect that that's what you'll get <laughs> when you write the piece of content. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So if you had one parting word of wisdom, Franco, before I let you go today, because I know it's late in the afternoon. Oh, no problem. I will stay here all night with you if you like. Oh, good. Then I definitely want us to get this over with so we can start talking about other fun stuff. But your time, right. <laughs> um, so I'll leave you with this. Just relax. Do the best piece of content that you can because things flow better when we're not anxious about things, right? The SEO stuff works itself at works itself out. Just do pay attention to it. Like don't discount it because because we've seen it happen. If you pay just a little bit of attention to it and you kind of know what you're doing, it is on orders of magnitude better if you do that than if you don't. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and for those type A selfish people like me who love attention more than they love breathing, right. embracing this kind of stuff is the best way to ensure that your content is actually getting found by people. That then when it's getting found, it is written for the right people. Um, I, I noticed just, drastic increases on the return just of my own investment of time because there's nothing worse I think than taking the time to write something beautiful and amazing and majestic and having it fall flat because I've had that happen too and it sucks yeah because it does. that means I operated on a bunch a bunch of invalidated assumptions right right so but but again just do the best job you can and then just pay a little bit of attention and your content should not fall off the wayside because I'll tell you what, this is actually, it's still really, really easy. I mean, I've been doing this 24 years and it's like shooting fish in a barrel. If you do the right content and just apply a little bit of technical piece to it, you'll outrank everybody that you see out there. So that's the magic. That's sort of the magic interconnection between the two. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, Franco. Thank How you can me. people find you? Do you have anything coming up soon or just anywhere people can find you on the internet? Sure. Yeah, actually, I hung a shingle up on, uh, on the web. It's called narrativeseo.com. And my email is franco at narrativeseo.com. And I usually attend I am live 17, 18 and 19, I hope. Fingers crossed. Do you have any other conferences coming up before the end of the year? Or? Uh, PubCon. I'm trying to get out to PubCon. At, uh, in October out in California. Yeah, it's really cool.
a lot of my what friends. Are that cool. one? I've never heard of that. It's really cool. It's uh, it's an SEO. It's it's publishers convention. Um, and they have a, like a lot of PPC, a bunch of technical SEO. And actually there's a group called SEMrush All-Stars on Facebook, which is sort of the, the dev group for SEMrush. And a lot of those guys are like, oh man, this is the best conference ever. And they're talking out there and just kind of geeking out for a little while. Yeah. Nerds, nerds, nerds. <laughs> well, thank you again for joining me today, Franco. Thank you for having me, Liz. Great to see you. Step back and looking at my conversation with Franco from that high 80,000 foot level, the one thing you can start doing this week to make your content instantly better is to understand that integrating the science of SEO with the art of content creation cannot be an afterthought, where you're only just optimizing your content after it's already done. That's certainly part of it, of course, but the one thing you need to remember is that the marriage of content and SEO begins before you start building an outline or a strategy for whatever it is that you're working on. You need to bring that data and that keyword research into your process early, not at the last minute. Not only is it going to help you validate or invalidate whatever your assumptions may be, it's going to prevent you from creating what you think is an amazing piece of content that ultimately no one is ever going to see. SEO is not the enemy of content. And if you think of it that way, I'm just going to be honest with you. You are shooting yourself in the foot. And I say this from a place of vast experience of shooting myself in the foot. I've learned the lessons the hard way of ignoring search engine data, only to have content fail spectacularly until I finally circle back and do the keyword research work that I should have just done in the first place. Case in point, our website redesign pillar content. When we first launched it, I thought it was magnificent. And it was. The story was on point. The quality of the content was just, loved it, perfect. But it wasn't performing. After a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of avoiding the obvious, I went back to the drawing board, did some more robust keyword research, and then finally reworked the piece in the topic cluster the way it should have been set up in the first place. And lo and behold, within a week, the performance metrics completely turned around. And now it's one of our best success stories that got our pillar strategy moving. Okay, so this week's Weekly Awesome, I'm actually going to keep it super simple. You need to get to know Answer the Public, which is the data visualization keyword research tool that Franco and I talked about earlier in our chat today. Not only is it funny and quirky and cool to look at, it is incredibly valuable and it is a great way to synthesize data quickly in a way that will inform topic cluster strategies and more page level deep SEO strategies that you need to be aware of. All right, guys, we have come to the end of another episode. Thanks as always for listening. Do not forget to obviously shoot me a review. Love me, hate me. I want to know how I'm doing. And also reviews help this little podcast get found. If you want to get in touch, you can reach me through the Content Lab social media accounts. That is at Content Lab Pod, both on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you want to talk to me directly, I can also be found at Naptown Pint pretty much everywhere on the internet, more specifically and usually Twitter and Instagram. All right, until next week.